They say the market is the great equalizer. That means for every great business success story, there must also be an Atari 2600 ET cartridge. It looks like the next level until it's game over and you have to bury it, literally, in a landfill. Thousands of unsold cartridges just cover them over as if it never happened. Yep, the ET video game is probably one of the biggest product flops in history. But while it's a product flop legend, it's got some great company. Today we'll be chatting about a couple food and drink product launches that left a sour taste in pop culture history. So, you know, do as ET would do. Grab a pack of Reese's Pieces and get ready to look at some delicious product flops. Let's begin. Welcome to this episode of the Pop Trash Podcast. I'm Eric Griggs. And I'm Mike Jones. We're your hosts on this pop culture journey together. Let's try and shift our minds back from the coronavirus pandemic to another time when we had a global scale event and made its presence known in all of our lives way too much in the 80s. Mike, can you guess what I'm thinking of? Ooh, well, let's see. If if I'm going back to the 1980s, I'm going to have to consult my encyclopedia of 80s history also known as Billy Joel's We Didn't Start the Fire. (laughs) Uh, Let's see. Wheel of Fortune, Sally Ride, Heavy Metal Suicide. No. Uh, We've got AIDS, Crack, Bernie Gets. We've got Rock and Roll or Cola Wars. Do you remember who started the Cola Wars, though? You know, I don't know who fired the first shot uh, in the Cola Wars, But I do very much remember that you couldn't go through a day in the 1980s without Coca-Cola or Pepsi trying to slander the other. Countless Super Bowl commercials, countless magazine ads, countless vending machine wars where you'd see like, oh, this side has a Pepsi vending machine and that side has a Coke Mm -hmm. vending machine. Uh, So I remember them deeply, but I don't know how they started. Definitely not a Cold War. I don't know who launched the first missile, but one of the biggest casualties in the Cold Wars, do you remember New Coke's introduction? I remember the controversy around New Coke and its flavor. I think New Coke also was brought to us by Max Hedrum. Yes. We're going to talk about him just a little bit later. You know, it's funny. We think that, you know, our nation has never been so polarized to this extent. But if you were born in the 80s and you were probably first introduced to having to take sides with something called the Pepsi challenge. (gasps) This is the taste. This is the test. Pepsi versus Coke. The Pepsi challenge. And all across America, more people pick Pepsi Pepsi. time after time after time. Pepsi Cola. Mike, did you take the Pepsi challenge? (laughs) You know, I don't think I took the Pepsi challenge. I took countless physical fitness challenges in gym class. (laughs) The Uh, presidential fitness. Exactly. I was able to do 50 sit-ups in a minute. Climb this rope and then drink (laughs) a can of Pepsi. (laughs) Exactly. Well, that's the funny thing now because of all the cans of Pepsi I've drank over the years. I don't know if I could do five sit-ups in an hour. (laughs) Um, But I do remember what the Pepsi challenge was. I just don't think I ever did it. I do remember though... Grocery stores, when New Coke came out, they were like flooding the market, so to speak, with mm-hmm. like taste tests. And so, or not taste tests, but like samples. So you'd get, you'd go to like, you know, your local grocery store and there'd be, you know, that like cliche sample lady there with mm-hmm. like a countless Dixie cups of New Coke for you to try. And then a giant display of Coke right behind her. And if you liked it, you just put one in your cart. Um, but I don't think I ever actually took the Pepsi challenge, like Pepsi versus Coke and like had a survey or anything like that. It's funny thinking back surveys and taste tests. These were like all over. They were always in the grocery store, focus groups. I mean, there are surveys now, but it, it 
felt like an integral part of our lives. But, you know, you had tons of choices back then, just like today. You had your RC or your Royal Crown Cola, your Shasta Cola, Shasta, your, your various regional brands. But it really just boiled down to Pepsi or Coke, this two-party system. And Coke was the dominant force. But this Pepsi challenge started producing the results where people chose the sweeter taste of Pepsi over Coke. And this kind of lit a fire under Coke's ass to come up with a new product or to tinker their product to get to new Coke. Do you prefer a sweeter beverage? Do you like your pop, as I would call it? Or soda like pop, if you want to combine the words. <laughs> Do you like it sweeter? <laughs> uh, yeah, well, you know, like Madonna sings in Deeper and Deeper. I like my soda sweeter and sweeter. Uh <laughs> It's, I think I do because like, honestly, like in the, especially this time of my life in the eighties, mm -hmm. I was taking Tahitian treat to school with me, <laughs> just like fruit punch soda or like orange crush or like, uh, what else was like big back Welch's. then? Welch's. Oh, Welch's grape Welch's juice. Yeah. Grape. Not grape juice, oh. grape soda. Yeah. yeah. All those. Yeah. So I like a sweet, sweeter soda for sure, which I'm guessing would have meant that if I did take the Pepsi challenge back then, I would have picked Pepsi. Yes, the sweetness was the key to Pepsi winning their own challenge. <laughs> um, you know, the guy who knows human behavior better than anybody else, Malcolm Gladwell, wrote a book and uh, he pointed to a, this flaw in the Pepsi challenge. He was saying, because you're taking a small sip of the beverage, people would pick the sweet tasting one. But is that the beverage you want to drink a whole can of or every day? Would you pick the sweetest one? And Coke used to really call attention to that, that they would say, oh, ours is the less sweet beverage. They actually thought it was a good thing or an attribute that made Coke better. But here they were being beat at their own game by a sweeter beverage. So facts are facts. More people are choosing Pepsi. So Coke needs to come up with product to win and beat them at these focus groups. They embarked on something called Project Kansas. Incidentally, you know, Coke had been years into tinkering with the formula, get this, while keeping the taste the same, they wanted to remove the cane sugar sweetener out of it and move completely over to high fructose corn syrup, which was cheaper, uh, a different sweetener. And they had been moving in that direction while trying to keep the flavor stable. It was time for another round of taste tests once they thought they had their formula just right. And what do you think happened? Oh, well, I'm going to guess that once they had their formula right, they thought, oh, we need to out-sweetify Pepsi. So we're going to just like massively flood the market with this and try to take over Pepsi at its own game. Recently, an independent research firm ran a taste test between Coke and Pepsi. And the taste more people chose was the taste of Coca-Cola. Yes, more people all across the country when comparing Coke to Pepsi chose the taste of Coke as the better taste. Let's look at it this way. We gave America a choice and more people said Coke is it. People now picked largely the now sweeter Coke, new Coke first, Pepsi came in second, and what people would term old Coke came in last <laughs> in the focus groups, mind or you. Or old Coke. <laughs> old Just Coke. sitting there like on its rocking chair. Every day. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Please, old Coke is out having breakfast at Cracker Barrel. It's fine. Get ready for another wild turn of events because New Coke debuted on the markets and in TV ads in 1985, and it did pretty well with younger people. 
you know, another direct shot in the Cola Wars at the Pepsi generation. Oh, they got the young people this time. <laughs> yeah, they saturated television, radio, and print with 80s pitch man, as you guessed it, Max, Max Headroom, Headroom saying, catch the wave. <laughs> so now whenever our audio goes bad, I'll just be like, no, I was just imitating Max Headroom. <laughs> exactly. <yeah. laughs> Hi, this is Max Headroom pop quiz. Blindfold, please. Quicker next time. In blind taste tests, which pop drink did more people prefer? The new taste of Coke or Pepsi? Pepsi! Wrong. Mm, I love questions. Coke! Coke. The new taste of Coke. It's true. You heard it here first. Catch the wave. Coke. I do remember Max Hedrum because my older brother liked Max Hedrum for whatever. Uh. So he had a giant Max Hedrum poster on his wall. And he had like these Max Hedrum sunglasses that were extra shady. Uh, mm -hmm. And he would also speak in stupid terms like that. So he'd be like, hey, hey, my mama, my, my, my Mike. And I'd be like, <laughs> so I had yeah, my fill I, of Max Hedrum in 1985 or 86. Uh, not for me. But hey, let's not let first impressions swear. Because once you've acquired that new wave taste, you're going to want to try it again, again, and again. Moving on from Max Headroom, here is the point where everything went off the rails remarkably quickly. Most people say that it wasn't new Coke itself that was the problem. I mean, people were picking it in taste tests, right? In fact, the beverage industry has sustained, you know, multiple varieties of flagship brands. Coke actually debuted Cherry Coke around mm. the same month that new Coke came out. That's still around. But at that point, they made the unforgivable sin of withdrawing old Coke from the market. So even if you like new Coke, the only choice going forward that you would have if you wanted a Coke was new Coke. They ceased production of old Coke, basically retiring it, whether you liked it or not. And so since new Coke was your only choice now, a lot of people did not like that. In fact, they were pissed. Why does Coca-Cola hate freedom? <laughs> basically, right? Because that's right. Like, isn't that the exact thing that's happening? You can't take away my old Coke. I don't want your new Coke. I, I mean, want my old Coke. <laughs> could you imagine if this happened today? What, what would be on Twitter? What would be the trending hashtags? <laughs> well, they would invade the Capitol, really. Basically, right. They would do that. And then they would probably start online petitions. And then they would probably go on Joe Rogan's podcast. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, I mean, thinking back to those earlier focus groups, there were indications that this would happen. To use this analogy of politics, people are so loyal to some brands above everything else. So what was reported, they would take the taste test. And when it was revealed to someone that they chose the opposite drink that they always drank, they didn't believe it. They they got mad about it. I'm a Coke drinker. Or I'm a Pepsi drinker. It was core to somebody's identity. And no more so than in the South, because when you say, I want a Coke, that just means cola, but it's so associated with the brand and the rollout happened in the North in New York city. And so Coke kind of alienated a lot of its audience of who was drinking Coke and who identified as a Coke drinker. I'm surprised when it came back on the shelf three months later after their semi-apology that it wasn't labeled Coke freedom instead of Coke classic. <laughs> <laughs> well, the classic was the freedom of the 1980s. So it's I true. think that's partly it. But it is interesting even how like, you know, I'm just thinking back to like, Pepsi's blue, Coke is red. God, mm -hmm. do we have to divide everything in this country? <laughs> Jesus, right? Here's another thing talking about how what happened in the 80s with the Cola Wars, we're still living with some of the same things, namely conspiracy theories. 
So how about this? Humans will always spread misinformation, even without Facebook or any other algorithms on social media at play. One of the conspiracy theories was New Coke was just a marketing ploy, just to goose sales. That makes sense, right? You know, you withdraw the product. Oops, I'm sorry, you can't get it. You got people to pay attention. We're going to put it back on the shelf. I mean, it, it was three months. They ramped production back up. Coke Classic was back on the shelf. The other conspiracy theory was that Pulling old Coke off the shelf would make people largely forget its exact taste when they switched over to high fructose corn syrup in the formulations. And that way, when they reintroduced it, it would taste similar, but it would still be sweeter and it wasn't sweetened with cane sugar. There's threads of truth, like conspiracies today. There are threads of truth that make people believe that. The sugar industry took out full page ads because they knew Coke was switching to high fructose corn syrup. They didn't want that. That was lost revenue. So they helped kind of perpetuate this conspiracy theory. Both of them sound like they were true, were not true. But of course, in the context of a product flop rollout, really interesting to see the parallels from then and today. I just think it's so interesting that there'd be a bunch of people who think that Coke's going to spend millions, if not hundreds of <laughs> millions of dollars, spend a year or more developing a formula, <laughs> yeah. name it something like Project Kansas, have executives focus on it, you know, put together a multi-million dollar advertising campaign for it just as sort of a joke. It's like, no, Coke would never do that. Coke messed up here. <laughs> like, yeah. But that is interesting to hear also about like the sugar industry. And I can imagine this is where it kind of is like, God, our food system is just all sorts of messed up and how many different stakeholders and special interests are in there. Mm -hmm. Cause you can totally imagine like the sugar industry would be like, yeah, let's go like hype this up so that they like don't do this or do that. Oh, that's so crazy. You're making me feel like a unsolved mysteries viewer from like the 1980s. <laughs> and like who, who <laughs> Robert, Robert Stack, Stack comes on. <laughs> yeah. Tonight's episode is about old coke. <laughs> but first these aliens. Uh <laughs> Where did the cane sugar go? No one knows, but if you know, Call our hotline. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> New Coke lasted a while. In 1995, it was renamed Coke 2. Coke and just 2, Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> <laughs> That's your marketing campaign right there. Totally. But it continued to share shelf space with Coca-Cola Classic all the way to 2002. Interesting. Gosh, 2002? Yeah. I have to admit, I think if I, if I were forced to pick sides in the Cola Wars... I'm probably Pepsi. Would you be Pepsi? I think I would be Pepsi for two reasons. Um, the first is I think Pepsi has had much better commercials, even though Coke, I know, has like the legendary, I'd like to teach the world to sing with a Coke, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. But I think like Pepsi's got like, I think Pepsi's marketing is better. And also I just generally kind of like the taste, I think a little better still. But yeah. I do think I do think you're right that like if you go south of Maryland trying to find Pepsi anywhere is like yeah Pepsi no it's only Coke yeah it's definitely Coke in the South it's much harder to find Pepsi in the South well which is funny because the South is all about sweet tea sweeter beverages right so you would think they would want the taste of Pepsi because it's a sweeter beverage. But it goes back to that, nope, brand loyalty. Yeah, I'm a Coke drinker. So it's like all this beating up on each other. Was it just a giant waste of time? Pretty much. So if the 1980s gave us Cola Wars, what could the 1990s give us? Pizza, pizza. Pizza mm. Wars. I know. Sounds cheesy, but not when you take <laughs> into consideration that pizza was and is a multi-billion dollar industry in the United States. Eric. 
What is your favorite chain pizza restaurant? Well, it ain't Lucetti's. <laughs> <laughs> Lucetti's, for our listeners, is a local pizza chain growing up where Mike and I both lived. And it had a picture of a volcano on the pizza no, box. No, it did not. It did. I You're, swear to God, it did. No. no you can, <laughs> this is not a false memory. I 100% know. You're confusing it with the Brady episode when they go to Hawaii. No, no, no. So anyway... <laughs> They had those little pepperonis, not the real pepperonis, with like little pools of grease, like yeah. a little little bowl of grease. They're the most disgusting. And and the the pizza, like the crust, the the flames on the side of the crust. No, <laughs> the, the crust was brittle and not moist at any point of your pizza eating experience. And also the sauce caused heartburn. So that would not be my favorite. To your question, which is my favorite, it would probably be Pizza Hut. We didn't get a lot of pizza delivery or like bring home the pizza. Like as I got older, oh yeah, it was all about those $5 hot and readies from Little Caesars because I was broke and young. But um, I remember being a kid and being taken to Pizza Hut, like Pizza Hut was like the fancy night out if you were kind of like lower middle class. The salad bar, the all-you-can-eat pizza bar eventually, and those red cups that you got your drink in, uh, it was an experience. So maybe more than the pizza. Okay, I can see it. The Pizza Hut interior design aesthetic. It's actually kind of like coming back in some ways or having a little mm-hmm. bit of like a renaissance, you know, loving the old Pizza Hut Tiffany lamps and the mm-hmm. red cups that you said, or that salad bar that always seemed to have very fresh kale all around <laughs> no. it. Oh, no, it did not. It was all iceberg all the way. No, it had iceberg lettuce on it, but the decoration was kale. Oh, oh yeah, but nobody ever ate that. <laughs> exactly. Nobody ate kale in the 1980s. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, that's helpful. I, I'm not going to argue with you about Lucetti's today. We argue about it too much. Uh, I'm going to look this up. There was a volcano on that box. There was 100%. not a volcano on a Lucetti's pizza box. <laughs> we have, we have, we're, now it's a mystery. Well, all right, we're not talking local pizza chains today, right? Mm-hmm. We are talking right. the big ones from the 1980s. There are a couple other big chains out there that were part of the 1980s. It wasn't just Domino's, Little Caesars, Pizza Hut, and Papa John's. There were a couple others. Do you remember Four Star Pizza? I don't. I worked at a, my first job was at a Chuck E. Cheese. So does that help? <laughs> Chuck E. Cheese is technically a chain pizza restaurant. It yes. is, yeah. Uh, so in the 80s and the early 90s, you had the big heavy hitters of Domino's, Little Caesars and Pizza Hut. Fast food started to go through this kind of weird, like make everything bigger. Let's make our extra value meals at McDonald's bigger and our large fries bigger. Pizza went through that same conversation of how do we supersize pizza? And all three chains decided it was time for a gargantuan pizza. So here's where the story really starts. It's 1993 and all three of those companies, Little Caesars, Domino's and Pizza Hut, wanted to put a big pizza product on the market. So we're going to start with Domino's. And Lord, I hope you are hungry. Are you hungry, Eric? I'm always hungry. Well, I do hope you're hungry because we're about to talk some big ass pizza. So we're starting with Domino's. Post the Noid, when, you know, which was Domino's big uh, oh, marketing. Love the Noid. You love yes. the Noid? Remember? Yeah, the Noid? he made your pizza cold. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, I think, cousins with the, the whammy from Pressure Luck. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, all right. Domino's had the Noid, which was such a cool character from the, the 80s. But after that sort of like marketing shtick, they really went downhill in terms of sales, in terms of profile. So there were a number of years in the late 80s, early 90s, where Domino's was declining and watching sort of the other chains make entrees into the big pizza world. So what Domino's decided to do was create a pizza called the Dominator. <laughs> like the Baconator? <laughs> or, <laughs> yes. All right. The Dominator. <laughs> this pizza was huge. It was so big that Domino's delivery drivers weren't allowed to deliver it because it wouldn't fit in most pizza delivery vehicles. Because <laughs> they true. all owned like Ford Festivas or something. <laughs> <laughs> you try fitting a Dominator in a Ford Fiesta. How, how big was it? It was, we'll get there. I promise okay. we'll get there. <laughs> But I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, it's funny to me because like Domino's is famous now and back then for delivery, right? They're the company mm-hmm. that was like, if we yeah. don't get you your pizza in 30 minutes or less, it's free. You Hence know, until annoyed. yeah, no. exactly. Um, until like you know, countless delivery drivers like died rushing pizza to like oh, people's houses, which is why they had to kind of get rid of that policy. But still, the, the premise was Domino's was a delivery machine, mm. and here they invite invent a pizza that you can't deliver because it doesn't fit into the backseat of a pizza vehicle. <laughs> just crazy. All right, Eric, you wanted, you asked, can you guess the specs of this pizza? Just take a wild stab. Uh, um, I'm going to say what a regular pie is probably what, 12 inches, 18 inches. So I'm going to go with um, 36, like a full <laughs> yardstick of pizza. You're getting close. You're in the right area. And I think the best way to describe it is to actually just rely on the words of a domino spokesperson uh, who said in 1993, laid side by side, the dominator is bigger than my three-year-old. <laughs> what? <laughs> so, it was 30 slices of pizza measuring 10 inches wide by 30 inches long. <laughs> I know that's an, they have to like rebuild their ovens or anything for this. Uh, I don't think they had to rebuild their ovens, but the pizzas were actually tall enough to ride roller coasters. Some people think Domino's extra large dominator pizza with more crust, more cheese and more toppings is just too much for one family to handle. Well, it turns out. So if you were a three-year-old in 1993, you would have, you'd be 31 or 32 now. But alas, the Dominator didn't have as long of a life. Mm. It kind of spun out in the 90s, as you might imagine, for a pizza that can't fit into the backseat of most vehicles uh, and has sort of gone to the pizza graveyard. Crust in peace. (laughs) I know. To me, it's like, I don't feel that bad for Domino's kind of missing out on the big pizza wars of the early 90s because, Mm. like, their pizza dough bubble didn't burst. The 90s mm. were tough for them, right? Like they weren't as big as the other chains, but that company came roaring back to life in the early mm. 2000s, like mid 2000s. And I think it was one of the first pizza chains to actually embrace online ordering as part of its brand. And I will stand by this. Mm. If you order a Domino's pizza and you use their pizza tracker, it is so good at tracking that it puts UPS and FedEx to shame. So really? I think, yes, it is phenomenally good at tracking the time your pizza takes. And it's even like your pizza's in the oven. Your pizza's being handled by a man named Fred. Your pizza's been given to the delivery driver. Your pizza is three minutes away. It's very incredible. Uh, Probably also a little big brother. So the Dominator, it kind of flopped. But 
It wasn't the only entry into the pizza wars. So let's turn to Little Caesars. What do you remember about Little Caesars, the Little Caesars pizza chain of like the late 80s, 90s? I remember the hot and ready. <laughs> hot and ready sounds to me like a, the title of like Lonnie Anderson's autobiography. Yeah. Or, <laughs> or, or, you know, today I would go into the store and I'd be like, can I have a $5 Helen ready, please? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to me, Little Caesars had countless iconic commercials. There was one, I know you know this one, where a bunch of family members do a conga line. Oh, I love room. that one. <laughs> it's so good. It's classic. Pizza oh, commercials. oh, and the old guy that goes, hoodie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We could do a podcast episode just on that commercial. In fact, we should play that oh, for people. Oh my God, I love it so much. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, Little Caesar's entry into the big, you know, world of colossifying pizza was called the Big Big Pizza. Much like Pizza Pizza was their like slogan, the Big mm. Big Pizza. I gotcha. guess there were exclamation points after big. So technically it's the Big Big Pizza. Uh, <laughs> Say that again? The Big Big Pizza. <laughs> <laughs> I sound like Hulk Hogan from like the 1980s there. Hey, you want to tear my new big, big pizza <laughs> with these 25 inch pythons? <laughs> I don't know. But the big, big pizza wasn't one pizza. It was two pizzas. Hence the big, big. Each big stood for a pizza. Little Caesars didn't have delivery drivers, so they didn't have to worry about drivers unable to fit their big, big pizzas into Ford Fiestas. But I will tell you this, for a customer who had to pick up this pizza, you got to work out because this pizza weighed almost five pounds. I remember eating this pizza and picking it up at the store. They didn't have like dine-in, like a pizza hut. You yeah, know? it was just it was all out. to go. And it was two pizzas in this long sleeve. And yeah, and you had to carry it with two hands or it would just like fall on the floor. They, Little Caesars threw everything to, to market this. Pizza Hut will do the same with theirs. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But Little Caesars sort of marketing for this was kind of brilliant. They got George Burns to do an ad for the Big Big Pizza, where this little girl who's probably like six or seven years old, writes a letter to Little Caesars. Dear Big Big Cheese, my dream is to eat a Little Caesars Big Big Cheese with you. So a helicopter lands in the girl's front yard and she runs to the helicopter like clumsily carrying an absolute shit ton of pizza. Let's eat. Okay. It's the biggest pizza in the history of the world. 24 slices of cheese and pepperoni pizza. All for $8.88. Pizza, pizza. He's God. That's that's why, right? You're the big I didn't cheese. even draw that. You're right. He was, he was, oh, he, from, oh, God. What's that? What's, well, book oh one God, and two. And then book three, oh, God, you devil. <laughs> well, that makes a lot of sense that I never actually drew that. Because I was going to mm -hmm. ask you what you thought of George Burns. You know, what would he order on his pizza? Oh, cigar action. <laughs> <laughs> if he ate enough Big Big, he lived to be like 100 years old, right? Maybe the secret yeah. to a long life is eating giant ass giant sizes pizzas. of pizza. Well, that bodes well for me because I remember <laughs> eating a lot of those. <laughs> Congratulations, you'll live to 100. Um, <laughs> oh, God. Oh, I don't God. want that <laughs> Okay. So the big, big pizza, as the commercial mentioned, was 24 slices. But I think really what did make the big, big pizza just stand out was these commercials that just truly escalated the pizza wars. And it actually takes us to our last contender in this American gladiators of giant pizza. It's Pizza Hut's Bigfoot. Recently, an object was sighted. It was big. Bigger than big. Huge, huge, large, astronomically big. Big would be an understatement. Very big. Huge. When it arrives, you better not be alone. Bigfoot. Pizza Hut. From Pizza Hut. Two square feet of pizza. 21 slices on a tasty new crust. 
$10.99 for up to three toppings. It's bigger than Pizza Pizza. Bigfoot from Pizza Hut, a legendary value. It just kind of reminds me of all the tit for tat that Coke and Pepsi did. Pizza chains really had that, especially mm. Little Caesars and Pizza Hut in the 90s. As you're describing everything, there was a, a cold war of pizza happening. Bigfoot to me is the one that everybody kind of remembers. Eric, yeah. you were, you've eaten a Bigfoot, I'm guessing. That sounds like a fetish I'm not signing up for. I was just saying. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, I do remember. Well, I think I remember more just the name and the marketing. Like when you talk about big pizzas, like the era of these giant sized pizza, I'd say, oh yeah, Bigfoot. Was it like slid into a big long sleeve yes. and it was, you'd look at it and be like, I'm having a Super Bowl party. Well, that's truly it. Cause the Bigfoot is the largest of the three. It was two feet long by one foot wide. So no, we're not getting to yard territory, but for pizzas, mm -hmm. that's pretty freaking big. Mm -hmm. yeah. It was 21 slices of pizza. And yes, you're totally right. It was so big. You couldn't actually get it in a pizza box. You had to slide it into a bag. <laughs> <laughs> but did it have a volcano on the top? It did not have a volcano. <laughs> it had a Bigfoot on it. All right. So what went wrong for Bigfoot? And to me, this is where it all comes down to logistics. So sure enough, the same problem that Domino's had with the Dominator imperiled Pizza Hut 2 delivery drivers couldn't schlep these pizzas around because they were so big. So they'd be spilling all over the back seats of pizza cars or they'd shut the door and it would smash the pizza up against the wall. <laughs> it was just like, you can't make a pizza too big for the delivery vehicles. Hello, how did nobody figure that out? Mm. But it also for this, because the pizza was so big, you actually had to make it in a different sort of style because it just required so much space and so much mm -hmm. oven space. And so there were a whole host of quality control issues mm -hmm. with this. So depending on the Pizza Hut you ordered from, maybe you got a nicely cooked Bigfoot, or maybe you got one that was like raw in the middle, or maybe you got one that was half cheese, half dough. You'd get like some edges that were like super, super crispy and just mm -hmm. like kind of a mess. And so there's, and there is seriously, you can go down this YouTube rabbit hole of Pizza Hut workers from the 90s complaining about how hard it was to make a Bigfoot mm. pizza. You know, most folks think that Bigfoot pizza ended in the 90s. It's not entirely true. Retroist, which is a great website, does a good breakdown mm. of the Bigfoot pizza. And they note that a couple coupons for it exist all the way through like 2008. So, huh. you know, you could mm -hmm. generally find it here and there, but most Pizza Huts phased it out I think in the late 90s, early 2000s. Now, of course, because everything old is new again, mm -hmm. there are just heaps of online petitions trying to bring the Bigfoot back. But Pizza Hut's never really caved in to fan demand on this. And I think part of it is the same thing. It's like maybe now we have SUVs that can foot, mm -hmm. fit Bigfoot pizzas in them. But like generally speaking, the logistics for it are just a mess. The thing I'm wondering about is like, what were their food costs? You know, this must be like, really cheap ingredients. Now you have me picturing like my mom calling the Pizza Hut in the 1990s, but with today's prices, um, because I think you're right with inflation, like a Bigfoot pizza would be like, that'll be $143. It's of its time. It's definitely a 90s thing. All right, well, that brings us to the end of this food and beverage flop episode. If you're anything like me, you're now going to drown the rest of your day in a giant glass of new Coke while scarfing down a humongous Domino's pizza. We hope you enjoyed this episode and that you'll give us a like or a follow on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want more amazing Pop Trash commentary, head over to poptrashmuseum.com. Thanks again for listening. May you always be able to fit your Bigfoot pizza in your Ford Festiva. <laughs>